Hi, I'm Kara, and you're listening to Shitty Fathers Make Strong Women. Um, tonight, I'm reading from my seven-on book, Victims No More. Um, I did eight weeks, two eight-week sessions of this because I am a sexual uh, abuse survivor. I was sexually abused and raped by my stepfather uh, until I was 17. So, um, this really helped me and I know a lot of women who have never heard of it or um, don't aren't ready to step out and and be that open about their problems uh, what happened to them and I'm hoping this will help help some of my listeners um, just listening to these stories and see if you find any a connection and a find a way to heal um, and I'm going to release the story now. From my earliest memories, I recall being a problem. I never felt like I fit in or was welcome. I would describe my first five years of my life as desperate and subsequent years as troubled. When I entered elementary school, I constantly had bloody noses, was prone to crying, and was very sad. I remember hearing, hearing someone say, there goes Lois Dolby's daughter. She's bad. I could not figure out why, but somehow knew it was true. I grew up in Illinois. Mom and Dad had a lot of relatives nearby, so all of us cousins grew up together and we frequently had sleepovers. When I was in second grade, one of my male cousins, who was three to four years older than I, crept into where I was sleeping. He held a knife to my throat and made me touch him and he fondled me. Over time, he did this repeatedly. He threatened to cut me if I woke his sisters or told anybody. I thought there was something wrong with me, so I felt I couldn't tell anyone anyway. The sexual abuse from my cousin continued, and I learned to use my sexuality to control and manipulate guys while being filled with self-guilt and low worth. When I was in fourth grade, Dad started long-haul trucking. Being away from home a lot, he was unfaithful to Mom. He also continued to drink heavily and would fly off the handle at the slightest provocation. <laughs> the slightest provocations. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm having a difficult time reading tonight. I remember him throwing his food and silver at Mom at the dinner table. Dad always saw someone at, saw women as sex objects. They were shapely enough, sexy enough, feisty enough, and he had his way with people, especially women. He was hard to resist, charming and engaging. As I grew up, I discovered why I was so unwanted. Apparently, when my brother was three, my parents split up over dad's drinking. Mom had a weak moment of reconciliation with him and dad had gotten pregnant with me and resented it. Dad also said some hellish things to me. When I was in dance class or sang in a choir, he'd say things like, You're the only one off step, or You're the only one singing off key, or You'd be amazing if you weren't dumber than a box of rocks. All these comments confirmed for me that yes, I was less invaluable and a mistake. When I was in fifth grade, mom and dad had talked about getting braces for my brother and me. Instead, they used the money to get a divorce. By the sixth grade, I was into drugs and alcohol and used my body as sex as a sex tool. When I was 12, my mom allowed my brother's boss to date me. He was 28. I thought we were in love and, and there was finally a man in my life that would care for me. We went out a few times and then he raped me in the front seat of his car. Even though I had been very promiscuous before this, I had never had intercourse. My mom allowed this relationship to continue. 
I believe my poor mother just had no idea what to do. I was deathly afraid of losing his love and continued to have sex with him. I had no concept of, of pedophile in my world or vocabulary and thought that this was what I had to do to be loved. When he broke it off and I didn't and I do not even remember how that happened, I was devastated. I didn't feel loved or wanted or anywhere or anybody. I thought sex was what I wanted, but I hated it. My brother blamed me for all my woes, saying it was what I wanted. Later I realized I was just I just wanted to be loved and my brother was as helpless as I was. After my parents divorced, mom worked full time and our house became party central. All of our friends hung out there and we smoked and drank. I went through one boyfriend after another when mom was at work and even my dad would come party with us. Soon mom met another man. He was a drunk. He too was a drunk, but he was a happy drunk and didn't get angry or violent. When they married, the partying at our house stopped. I moved out at 16 because I didn't want to be under the authority of my stepdad. I had moved to Danville and I was living with friends while I was still in high school, but when I was 17 I got expelled for possession of drugs. The police gave me the option of being placed in the custody of my dad or going to jail. I longed for him to love me in a healthy way. I idolized my dad and didn't want him and didn't want to let him down, so I chose to go to jail. I only spent a couple of hours there before friends bailed me out. My brother had moved to Indiana, so I convinced my mom, stepdad, and dad that I would move there to finish high school. This was a huge mistake. My brother lived in an exclusive, wealthy suburb, and everyone there saw me as white trash. I was still partying so much. I found it hard to function in a school for hard to function in a school setting where I was not welcome. So I dropped out of high school and got a full-time job. I was living with my brother. But his girlfriend didn't like me and wanted me to move out, so I got into a relationship with a man named Bill and moved in with him. We got pregnant and I wanted to abort. I knew that if I had a baby, I'd have gone, I'd have to go on welfare and I didn't want to do that. Also, I reasoned that having the baby would have tied me to Bill for the rest of my life. I didn't want that. I see all of this as a sin upon sin now. Bill wanted me to keep the baby, so he asked his Christian father to talk to me, and I agreed. He brought a cassette player and tape with him and asked me to listen to it. On the recording, a child's voice kept repeating, Mommy, don't kill me. Please don't kill me. I'd heard enough and pushed stop on the recorder. I asked him if he was prepared to buy diapers and formula for my baby and if his church would stand behind me, but he said that that was my responsibility. His callous attitude drove me to the abortion clinic, and at least that was my justification. Abstinence was never a thought. After the abortion, I went into a severe depression, and Bill became very weird sexually, so I left him. I got a new job and met Danny. I was so desperate and had such low self-esteem that I let him teach me to shoot up methamphetamines. Then, perhaps a year later, I saw one of my old girlfriends lying in the bathtub. She had, a dwind she had dwindled down to about 80 pounds and was beating her on herself trying to get a vein up. Seeing that pathetic sight I saw there, I was headed, and that's how I would die. I longed for the life of a white picket fence, a two-car garage, and a loving family, so I quit everything cold turkey. I told Danny I was going to move back to Illinois to live with my dad and his new, and his new wife. Dad was sober then, but, but smoked pot. Daddy, Danny came with me, and we lived with them for a while. 
When we moved in, Dad insisted I get my GED. I still idolized him, so I did as he asked. And I'm glad I did. A short time later, Daddy, Danny got a letter informing him that he was in trouble with the law over child support in Indiana. We eloped to Ohio, got married, fixed up a Ford van, and headed to Montana. I continued running on this treadmill of desperation. We lived in Helena, Montana for a year. I had been stealing from my employer in Helena, but rather than par prosecute, they asked me to leave. A pot-dealing friend moved to Spokane, Washington, so we followed him there. In Spokane, we became managers of a low-income housing project that was rife with drugs and the lifestyle that accompanied it. One day, guys with machine guns showed up at our door and hauled Danny away. Somehow, he talked his way out of his predicament and showed up a few days later. While managing this apartment complex, I met a woman who had been a victim of incest. She told me that sexual abuse was never the child's fault. I had never heard this and always assumed it was my fault. It took me a long time and a lot of therapy to believe it wasn't. I wasn't at fault. Adults are supposed to protect children. Instead, they took something from me they shouldn't have and left me confused and broken about my worth and sexuality. After four years with Danny and no children, I told him I wanted out of the drug world forever. He agreed to go to treatment though the VA and through the VA and they sent him to Wyoming. The VA required that I go to counseling for codependency while he was in treatment. There I learned that the rape and sex abuse was not my fault and that the drug use was my responsibility. I really threw myself into the training and took it to heart. My boss in the property management world became my mentor and we started programs to assist people in the low-income apartments I managed who had similar life struggles to mine. Although not many knew my story, I had a way of glamorizing my life. We also offered financial aid classes for those who wanted to go to college. And one day, one of the ladies asked, why don't you go to college? So I did. Danny got out of treatment in Wyoming, and on the way home in the car, he said that his counselor had told him to try drugs one more time to make sure he no longer liked him. I told him he was a fool to think I'd fall for that. I filed for a divorce, and Danny disappeared. I was in college and doing better. I was working and going to therapy, but I still hadn't healed, in my, healed my self-esteem or in relationships with men, and I got pregnant again. I loved college, even though I had hated school in my younger years. In college, I was, leaning, I was learning valuable skills and was challenged. I didn't want to throw all this away and move back to my family in Illinois. I felt trapped by the pregnancy, so I aborted again, late term this time, and swore off men, at least for a while. However, some time later, I met Charlie on a blind date. He was like any other man I'd, met, I'd ever met. He was kind, sweet, and polite. He did not treat me with half-hardness, and he not want, did not only want sex for me. We fell in love immediately. We both declared to go to counseling so we could grow and become better people. Charlie and I got married three years later, and I got pregnant right away. The first pregnancy ended in miscarriage, and I was sure it was my fault because of the abortions. I vowed to become a healthiest, the healthiest person and the best specimen for pregnancy and motherhood I could if I could conceive again and carry a baby to term. I hoped to be given another chance. One year later, our son was born in March, and I graduated from college with a bachelor's degree in June. It is important for me to say that despite all the things that were wrong in my family, I wanted to believe my parents were decent people.
After I ran away to Montana with Danny in 1986, my mother and I were able to restore our relationship in a deeper way. This was a good relationship for the remainder of her, of her short life. She died in 1995. She and Charlie were best buds, and we enjoyed the, same, the time we had with her. Wow. Did any of y'all relate to that? Um, to Lisa's story? I mean, I know I did. You know, in what ways can you identify with her story? I never felt loved or wanted by my parents, ever. I always felt like I was a problem. In fact, I was always told that children were meant to be seen, not heard. Um, and, of course, you know, I was told that what was being done to me was his responsibility to teach me. And I was, was to never tell anyone. Um, in what ways did Lisa's abuse affect her? She thought it was normal and okay to have sex with anyone. I mean, that's what happens when you're sexually abused. You, you think it's okay because that's what you were taught. You were taught that sex is love and it's not. It's not at all. Um, some of these questions are just stupid. So, I'm just... It's, it's just, you know, I mean... We have to heal from our sexual abuse if we want to go on with our lives. That's just, it, you have to heal. Or you're going to be stuck in this spot where you hate yourself, you hate your body, you just hate everything. Because you're not healed inside. You have to love yourself. You have to forgive yourself because you didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Lisa didn't do anything wrong. We were all abused by somebody sexually either someone that we trusted someone that we knew or someone we didn't know it doesn't matter who did it to you whoever did it to you is a fucker and they need to be dealt with and it's just sad i'm, I'm really glad that more people are coming out and saying that that this happened to them it's just sad that society has just fucking made it normal it's just normal. It's okay for women to get raped. It's just normal culture. That's just fucked up. It's not normal, ladies. It is not normal. And if you're dating a guy who only, who only wants to see you at night and only wants to have sex with you, you are not a cockroach. You just need to get out of there and find someone else because those dudes are no good. And uh, sex abuse often has profound effects on a person's behavior. When a woman starts believing the lies that she's worthless, dirty, and soiled, she may start living her life accordingly. Although through the sexual abuse she may have learned to use her body and sex to manipulate people to get what she wants, she may also believe that she wants what she wants is sex, but never find it fulfilling. I never did. I thought that's what I had to do to get a guy to love me. I thought if a guy had sex with me, that meant he liked me. That meant he loved me. He wanted a relationship with me. No. That just means he wanted to get his dick wet. That's what that meant. And, you know, I mean, it's just... It's horrible. All these feelings and more can lead to a life of desperation resulting in self-destructive behavior as promiscuity which I had, if you listen to my early podcasts, I did. I would, 
I was very promiscuous. I would just have sex with anyone. I didn't care. That meant they liked me, right? If they wanted to have sex with me, they liked me. Addiction to drugs. I never got addicted to drugs. I, I never, I guess I never really had access to drugs. Um, we had my parents owned bars. Um, we had alcohol and I drank, but I never abused it. I guess I, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't, I smoke pot now or CBD, but I don't really consider that a drug. That's fucking medicine. Um, cutting and other forms of self-mutilation. I broke my wrists. I would smash my wrists on the bathroom counter. That's how I would relieve myself. Just to feel something. To feel anything besides what I was feeling when my stepdad was on top of me. Or whatever he was doing to me. Just to feel something besides that. I would smash my wrists until they were numb and bruised and swollen or broken and then I would have to make I'd make up something I fell but that my parents knew my stepdad absolutely knew my mom knew I didn't know at the time that she knew but she knew what was going on with me they just didn't give a shit they just threw me to the wolves they were the wolves she fed me to the fucking wolf my stepdad failed marriages oh my god yes hello I had, well, one failed marriage because I got married way too young. I have two children I love dearly and I would not change anything. But I got married too, too soon, too young, and to somebody who didn't respect me. He was not a very nice man to me. Not at all. Um depression. I didn't know I was depressed. I never saw a counselor until I was in my 40s. I mean, I never once seek therapy. That was never even brought up in our house. If you saw a shrink, you were just fucking crazy and they just they just threw you out. They didn't want nothing to do with you. My parents made fun of people that went to see shrinks. And now I know it's projection. Those motherfuckers need to see a shrink more than anybody. Anorexia, anorexia, bulimia, and other eating disorders. Oh yeah. i I overeat. I would stress eat. And if I eat, if I get fat, nobody's going to want to touch me, you know, because I didn't really like sex, even though I pretended like I did, because I thought that's what I had to do to be loved. It's just a vicious cycle. And poor relational skills. Oh my God, I didn't know how to have a relationship. When I was in my relationship, when I started my relationship now with Rick, we've been together almost, let's see, January will be um, seven years. So um, I didn't know how to act because I never dated anyone like him. I never dated anyone who just didn't want to have sex all the time. He actually wanted to do other things together like paint and do a garden and, you know, mow the yard, do manly things and do things with me together. And I, I didn't know what to do. I, I honestly didn't. I didn't know how to do that. And sometimes I still struggle. I have very poor communication skills. I can't, I have a, I have a hard way of telling someone when I'm upset or when they've hurt my feelings. Because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt their feelings. See, that's just fucked up. I'm still not healed. 
because I'm still blaming myself for anything. You know, if something, if I drop something, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because I'm afraid. I, I don't, what the fuck? It's not my fault. Nothing. I mean, you know, some things are my fault, but being raped and being sexually abused is not my fault. And it's not your fault either. Um, just don't, don't believe it. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Um, and, you know, forgiveness, you can forgive if you want to, but it's not going to change anything. You're still, it's not going to unrape you. I mean, they say you have to forgive to move on. I don't really know. I say I've forgiven, but do I really? I'm still here, still sound pretty angry. Um, I probably will always be angry. I mean, my mother, I haven't spoken to her since 2020. She didn't even call me on my birthdays. You know, I wrote her a letter um, asking, you know, you, do you want to have a relationship? I don't want anything to do with the rest of my family. Um, but, of course, she didn't respond. And who even knows if she received it? You know, my brother, one of my brothers, he's such a fucking Nazi freak. Well, I shouldn't say Nazi because he's not really a Nazi. He's just acts like one. He's just an asshole. Um, he just, he's an asshole. Just an ass. And I shouldn't even say that because that's part of a human. He's not even fucking human. Anyway, he and his wife are just evil people. And I'm sure that something bad happened to him as a child because my whole family is fucked up. All my brothers are fucked up. What did my, what did they do to him? What did my family do to my brothers? You know, it makes you wonder if my stepdad raped and molested me, what did he do to my four brothers? I mean, it makes you wonder because they have fucked up lives too. And I'm not making excuses for them, but they, they have fucked up lives. I have one brother that my youngest brother, I miss him so much. I haven't spoken to him in three years either. And I miss him dearly. And he believes the lies that, that my mom and my other brother tell. He believes them. And I, there's nothing I can do about that. They, like I said, my first podcast, and I've probably said it in all of them, they all, they disowned me. My mom, my brothers, my, my biological father, which I have no idea why he fucking disowned me. I don't know what the fuck I did to them. Um, besides just being myself and that wasn't my fault. Maybe I wasn't who they wanted me to be. I don't know, but I am me. I'm who I am. I'm not a Christian. I'm pagan. And some people find that weird, but I don't. And that's why I'm doing my Savanon stuff here because they don't, they look down on you if you're not a Christian. And I, I just like that. I wanted to be a moderator for Savanon, but I couldn't be a moderator because I'm not a Christian. Hello. I was a fucking Christian while, when I was raped. Where was God when I was raped? That's my question. Really? God's going to save you? Where was he when I was 12? I thought he looks out for kids. I guess not. Eh, sorry. So I worship the trees and the grass and the stars and the moon and the sun. 
all living things, that I can actually see and touch with my own eyes, and I know they're there. Like gravity. I can't see it, but I know it's true because I can hold a ball up or a rock and let go, and it's going to fall. That's gravity. I know that's true. So, yeah, I kind of went on a little tirade tonight. So, um, thank you for listening. And, um, again, this is not your fault. Whatever happened to you is not your fault. If you want to share your story with me, if you want me to read it, you can send it to me and I'll read it. It helps if you want to, if you, if you do that, it helps. It helps you heal. I know it sounds crazy, but it does. Even just writing the letter and burning it, that helps. Um, that's what I started doing. Just know that I'm here and I'm listening and I care. And this is part of my recovery is just sharing my story with everyone and sharing these other people's story. And, you know, I don't edit. I don't even listen to my podcasts after I record them. I just publish them and I'm done with it. So thank you all for listening to me. Um, feel free to send me an email at bonglitter, B-O-N-G-G-L-I-T-T-E-R at gmail.com. Um, if you want me to read you, read your story, I will. If you don't want me to, I won't. Um, if you just want to share it with me privately, I've done that before too. And I, I really appreciate the ladies that are, that have been brave and have sent me their, their stories that I'm, I'm so proud of you and I hope you continue to heal. Thanks for listening.